movie fans. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> How's it? It's going great. We're here to talk about this fun show about kids who got magical powers and stuff. And everything's great, and it's going to be fine, probably. <laughs> She's only had half a bottle of whiskey so far. I'm sure it'll get better. Uh, anywho, we're here. I'm going to sober up real quick. And we're going to hear talk about Volume 7, Episode 11, Gravity. Which I am not going to lie. I'm sure there are lots of wicked uh, jokes that could be applied to that for the, the musically inclined members of our team. Uh, but let me go ahead and introduce our team. I'm Megan Salinas, and I am probably definitely not inebriated for the rest of this podcast. With me in the room is Katie Cullen. I am incredibly happy that we got a full-on long-live-the-king moment here. Uh, calling in from Los Angeles is the lovely Stacey Shuttleworth. I'm going to try to stop screaming for the duration of this podcast. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> You're doing okay so far. <laughs> Have you just had your microphone on mute until now? Yeah, just, just keep switching it off and screaming to the side into a pillow. It's fine. That's very professional of you and <laughs> very courteous. Thank you. <laughs> And calling in all the way across the country is the wonderful Mark V. Donica. Question. Can y'all hear me all the way from up here? In the conspiracy corner? No, on my high horse. Also, pick up your phones, because I effing called it. What's up, y'all? <laughs> Excellent audio work there, too. I just have to applaud your foley. <laughs> I do what I can. Um, but yes, uh, Mark, I, I was going to say you were like, we're going to spend, probably spend a good chunk of this episode down in conspiracy corner. <laughs> um, but you feel free to go ahead and pat yourself on the back quite a bit. I, I vacuumed, I dusted, I made sure that everything was ready to go by the time y'all showed up for today's show. Don't worry. We'll be living, we'll be living large. Did you get the Costco pack of red yarn? Like I asked. They were sold out. They they still hadn't replenished since the last time I, I bought them out. So what color are we using today? Our hands. <laughs> <laughs> now, we could hang out here in Conspiracy Corner, or we could do the episode from the Love Loft just to make everyone feel better. We're not no. really going to be talking about ships, but we could do it just to Give have like hot cocoa. in the sun. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to deny Mark his glory. <laughs> Do not besmirch the love loft in such a manner. You're right. You're right. I don't want to besmirch that hollowed ground, that sacred-esque territory. All right, then. Let's... <laughs> All right, Mark, if you don't mind us taking some, taking up some real estate here in the conspiracy corner, let's go ahead and get on with the show. And obviously, this was... An epic episode. I saw some people on Twitter before before I had the chance to sit down and watch the episode saying that this may very well be the best Ruby episode ever. So that kind of got my expectations up a little bit. Really glad I didn't get spoiled. But now that, you know, we've had the uh, the chance to sit down and watch it and let the episode settle a little bit, what are overall our thoughts on this episode and what it means for the remainder of the volume? Mark, since you seem to be, you can get down from the horse now. Um, <laughs> since this seems to be pretty validating for you, how did you feel about this episode when it was all said and done? Just as a note for all of our listeners, I know we are no longer on a visual medium, but I want you to imagine as I 
proceed with my comments that I'm dabbing the whole time. Moving on. <laughs> Sounds about right. I absolutely adored this episode for many reasons. Um, I mean, one, yeah, sure, the thing that I called came to fruition, but whatever. In terms of long-term storytelling coming to fruition and getting a payoff for something that they've been setting up for a 10 plus episodes really and this is really a master stroke of the the writer's room and and i we say it every week we don't have any sort of like affiliation but we we compliment them because we are enjoying the ride that they are putting us on and that's 100% truthful. I hope you all don't mind f- for me to speak for y'all when I say that. But this episode was one of the best. And oh boy, oh boy, are there some ramifications. <laughs> that <laughs> is an understatement. Yeah, and the sun is slightly warm. <laughs> uh, Stacy, how did you feel after this episode? God, I feel like all throughout this entire season, we've been talking about what a masterclass in storytelling, how these episodes are just building and building. And this was a masterpiece. I mean, this was such an excellently put together episode. This, I don't, I don't even have words still. I've seen this episode <laughs> several times now and like just been scoring online for like commentary for it. And I have like just still completely blown away with how well everything has come together to this point how successfully this entire season has been crafted to bring us to such a climactic moment to bring us like just to this edge of ultimate anticipation it's fine i'm fine (laughs) Uh, we had a a question in the discord about whether or not everybody was okay after this episode anyone need a hug no hug stacy i need i need a hug (laughs) (laughs) i'm sending you a a hug like i'm sending it your way (laughs) a virtual hug i'm collecting i'm open for donations of hugs (laughs) katie how about you so there's i've i've Something of a parallel to this, I fucking love the Discworld series by Sir Terry Pratchett. And my favorite book in the series is Reaper Man. And the thing is, whenever people say, you know, I want to start reading, what's your favorite? I'm like, that's two different answers. Because my favorite book in the series, you lose a lot of the emotional impact if you start with it. You need to come in earlier. You need to read the books that came before it. You need to know who these characters are and how they interact with each other to really understand what it means when certain characters do certain things in that book. So, you know, read Discworld. Don't start with Reaper Man. This episode for Ruby is, for me, kind of Ruby's Reaper Man. Like, it contains so many big emotional hits. There's so much going on there. But if you showed it to someone as their very first episode of Ruby, they'd be like, this is really cool. Who's that person? And why does it mean things when this is happening? Like, we get that the martial law thing is bad, because just generally speaking, especially in fiction, that tends to be a harbinger of bad events. But... If you come in cold, you don't understand why specifically it's such a bad thing for this character to be doing this now. So it's a great episode, but it's even better 
because it's built on everything that's come before it, because we know these characters and we've known them for a while. And it's this beautiful escalation of all of this groundwork that's been built. So yeah, incredibly well done. Yeah, I have to concur with that. Um, This was the culmination of a particular character arc. And even though the arc isn't necessarily complete, it's been... There's a lot of payoff in this episode for what's been set up all volume. And so we get that payoff, but we also get like really spectacular set pieces and um a gr- and we'll talk about it more uh a little later as we as we get into the meat of things, but the way the stage is set for every one of our characters, regardless of what side they fall on on any given particular debate, we understand their motives, we understand their intentions, and even though a confrontation is about to happen, no one's necessarily 100% the bad guy here except for Salem. And yeah, to concur with what Stacy was saying, that's kind of a masterclass of storytelling. So kudos to the entire team. This was spectacular to watch, and it hurt me so much, and I can't wait for more. <laughs> um <laughs> So let's go ahead and dig right into it, because this episode starts off with something I've been waiting for for forever, and that's Ironwood's big action set piece this volume, where he and Watts do battle in Amity Arena, uh, and gravity is something that gets played around with, and they're both um, kind of dual-wielding different types of pistols, or uh, Watts isn't dual-wielding, but he's got that gun with, like, dual chambers in it, which is really cool. They're using dust and gravity and technology. It is a really cool set piece. Also with a brand new song called Hero uh, slash Just Hold On featuring Caleb Hiles. What did you think of the different components of this fight scene and how it all came together? Let's start with Stacy. Man, I was looking forward to, like, this pure drama, like, gunfight, as it were. And they just took expectations and ramped it up to, like, 30. Not even 11? They skipped- No, no. No, they skipped it. They just, like, surpassed it thoroughly. All right. Jumping around, going in circles, messing with gravity, I'm in. So we've seen such, like, intricate weapons and intricate- intricate fights based on different weapons and how creative they've gotten so for them to take just these two dudes with really elaborate guns and still make such an interesting fight and such a dynamic piece of choreography uh using like the technology and then the very base weaponry that we really see in this world to play with technology and push like push the boundaries and oh man watching them dance around each other almost i mean both of them kind of just like went wild in, <laughs> in this fight while still being very calculated so watching the, you know them kind of unravel as they faced each other was just wonderful to watch mark i found it interesting how evenly James was switching up between his cybernetic arm and his biological arm, I suppose is the way to say that. Just because of you would think that he would have a little bit more of an advantage by utilizing the cybernetics. But but definitely agreed with what 
uh, Stacy was saying on top of that, um, I'm, I'm real happy for Caleb Hiles. You know, he, he started out as somebody that was covering all of these Ruby songs. And while I'm more of a fan of the originals, the end and Casey Williams, the, all of that work paid off by giving him this opportunity to, to be part of the show. And that's awesome. And, um, other than that, there were a couple of moments when, uh, Chris Sabat, who voices Watts was shouting and it was just like, Chris, your Vegeta is showing. (laughs) Other than that, just the, the sheer knockout drag outness and the use of gravity. Was that something inherent in the pieces of the, the Amity arena or is that, gravity dust or what like there there's also additional just like world questions that got raised from that fight but just in terms of a pure hero versus villain fight holy cow you can't get better than that katie building on the gravity bit we did see last episodes that watts specifically chose a certain type of arena so i wouldn't be surprised if gravity was always built into it and was always an arena type and he specifically chose that to work to his advantage because he knew he could manipulate it at will so i think that's more of a has always been there this is just the first time we're seeing it bit uh this fight reminded me a lot of the temple fight from red versus blue season 13 with the gravity play with the close quarters with all that fun stuff but i really just enjoy that of the two really big fights we have this episode, we've got the four highly trained combatants and a fight that lasts 35 seconds. And we've got two very determined men with guns, and it's the bulk of the episode. <laughs> like, that just makes me really, really happy that it's partially men with guns and partially daddy didn't love me enough and all amazing. And I also think that this fight was... Oh boy, when Megan and I were watching it, she mentioned that it sounded a little bit like a lover's quarrel, and I mean, we're not wrong there. You you picked someone else over me! You never cared about me enough! Cool your jets, Watts, for God's sake. I gave you everything you could ever want! (laughs) And you didn't pick me! God, ego much? Ego much? So that's part of it. And the other part that really stuck out to me is... Dear God, Ironwood and that arm. Just just the full on, I will sacrifice anything. And then ending with, I really hope you do. So here's where I kind of wonder about the planning for all of this. Because we get from Salem later that, oh, victory was never their goal. It was to set the stage for me. Well, part of this setting the stage that's happening is Cinder. But... Did anyone else know that Cinder was there? Did Sailor did Salem assume that she was going or find out or is she still being a wild card? Like Salem's nice little monologue at the end really made me wonder how much she actually knows about what's going on there. But I really thought the ending of the fight just straight up being long live the king yeets off a cliff was uh, a good way to do it. Pretty sure Watts is dead. Pretty sure he's dead. Well, actually, that brings up an interesting question. Uh, We have a question from the wonderful Cam Griffin in our Discord. Now, guys, let's, let's all go around. Is Watts 
dead dead. And thank you, Cam Griffin, for submitting that question. Uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. Is Watts mm, dead dead? What a question. <laughs> I have... Get the yarn. No, no, no. We're, we're already here, and I've got my hands ready. <laughs> Watts is very much alive because, Ooh. Katie, you are very much a proponent of nobody, no death. And you said yeeted him off, but we'd never see James actually let him go. So that got me, that posited me three facts. One, and I say facts because I'm paranoid as hell. <laughs> One, Watts gave James the case willingly. Two, Watts patched up James willingly because when we see James next, he's got a full wrap and a full sling. Watts is a doctor. Three, Watts is finishing Amity Tower. Holy cow, Mark. That's what I got. You you just threw out like a lot there. (laughs) See, the one thing that I have opposite that is he's too dangerous to leave alive. Like, we're at that point, his aura is broken, and we know that he's smart and can work with very, very little. So, on the one hand, yeah, he could be useful, but on the other hand, after this whole big thing about loyalty, you know you'd never be able to trust him. James said himself, I will do anything. And this, to me, falls under anything. I mean, it could anything could very well involve giving Watts exactly what he's always wanted, recognition and respect, in exchange for finishing the tower. So maybe. Stacy, what are your thoughts? Oof. Um. <laughs> Solid oof. Solid oof. Uh, God, there would have to be some, like, crazy behind-the-scenes thing we didn't see to, to bring us there, but man, what a theory. Uh, I don't know. I... Phew. <laughs> I'm trying to see James go, kind of, kind of completely turn it around. So I am almost fully in the he is dead, dead camp. Yeah, someone Mark gave that theory, and somewhere Miles and Carrie and Eddie and Kiersey all just felt a chill down their spines. <laughs> um, I think he's dead, but I also think throwing a man into lava is still a little too graphic to depict on Ruby. Like, there's a line, and I don't think they're willing to cross it. I I concur. I think he's dead. Um, but, as Mark pointed out, because we don't see the fall, and we don't see the body, because especially in later volumes of Ruby, like, Ruby hasn't shied away from death in these later volumes. And when... Leo Lionheart was killed he was dragged even though that wasn't explicitly on screen he was dragged kicking and screaming and you could hear the death rattles so like for somebody like Watts even though I think he's dead I could definitely understand like if that if we're going to kill off this character we want to see it happen because he's done some terrible things this volume and he's been working with Salem who is of course our big bad so i feel like it would be it's it's important to show <laughs> and especially with Adam too like even though his body fell into the ocean he is unambiguously dead where in other shows like you could leave that 
up to an ambiguous fate where a character can go back. That guy is definitely dead, dead, dead. <laughs> um, so for, for someone like Watts, like at the very least, is showing him fall, even if you don't want to show the gory aftermath, showing him fall seems like a very critical component to indicating that he's gone. So even though I think he's dead, Mark, I think you have more than a leg to stand on with that particular theory. Kudos, well done. I do want to talk about this song a little bit um, because it's not very, like, I think this is the first time where they've, not the first time they brought on an external vocalist because we've had other external vocalists on Ruby's soundtracks, but this is somebody... This is the first time somebody like Caleb Hiles has been brought on, which I think is supremely cool. I also am a big fan of his covers. Several of his Ruby covers are in my workout Spotify <laughs> playlist. So when he started singing, like not only I, I think that's really cool, one, because this is a guy that was doing covers and in true Rooster Teeth fashion, they took somebody doing a fan thing and brought them into the fold. And I think that's awesome. And two, it gives a song for Ironwood a distinct flavor to it, which I think is really cool. And this is unambiguously an Ironwood song. Like, uh, there's some lyrics here that straight up say, I will fight for you no matter how I am despised. Portrayed as cruel and heartless, I am might, I am power, I am due process. I will smite our enemies destroyed, metal I'll deploy. It's like, this is some good stuff. Um... (laughs) I, I really I really dug this song. Uh, what were your guys' thoughts on the choice of music in this episode? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Katie. I'm just gonna go with yes. <laughs> like I'm just gonna go with yes. I'm I'm one of those people where something music happens in Ruby, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But I don't always put a lot of thought into it beyond, oh, that's pretty cool. But this stood out, and also the piece when they were fighting Tyrion stood out. So um, I'm just gonna go with yes. Stacy, I'm going to go ahead and second that yes, enthusiastically. <laughs> yes. Oh, this was great. And this was such, like, because this moment ramped up and then all of a sudden this song kicked in and it was something fairly unexpected and it fit just so beautifully. It was wonderful addition to the scene and to the show. Concur wholeheartedly. Uh, Mark, thoughts on the song? Yeah, agreed. Like, when you heard the instrumentation start to ramp up you're like oh we're getting a williams song and then caleb comes through and you're like oh this cool like like stacy said it's it's different and like you said it stands out and it's iconic and it's very specific and it allows it allows ironwood to get this different moment and it allows this fight to not transcend, but stand alongside some of the other big moments with just how distinct the whole feel was. And even though we did get some sweet music for the rest of the episode, it's it was really hard to come down from that and just go, all right, time for another fight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was something wholeheartedly uh, unique, even as far as Ruby songs go. Um, so it was a total treat. And and the fact that the Williamses were teasing it uh, earlier on, like, I, I've been, this was a great payoff for, for the, all those hints and stuff like that. I really appreciate it. 
Um, but since Caleb is very much a different type of musical artist um, being brought onto the team, at least for this episode, that got some people in our Discord wondering. Uh, and we have another question from Cam Griffin. Thank you, Cam, for submitting this question again. Uh, with Caleb Hiles being brought in for a song, are there any other musicians of a similar scale that you'd like to see given the same opportunity? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. Somebody had suggested it in the Discord, but I learned about Caleb by listening to Jonathan Young. Yeah. Similarly, <laughs> similarly to you, Megan, he is on... Uh, a variety of my playlists as well so um and he just got like a job for the new doing the intro for the new beyblade series so he's he's getting more and more and more sort of notoriety and i hope it continues then and he gets and some he, some sweet ruby work and he and caleb do collaborations all the time yeah so if they did a ruby song together that would be so sick that would be awesome <laughs> Uh, uh, <laughs> Stacy, how about you? So I'm I'm the worst person to ask about music uh, because I listen to music, I appreciate music, and I most of the time cannot tell you who has been singing things uh, unless I'm explicitly <laughs> told. But uh, absolutely, I want to see other musicians brought into these projects. It was very nice. Like, and honestly, the Williams are amazing, and I love hearing their music in every episode. But this was a really cool little treat, a really cool little addition. <laughs> Katie? Jeff wants to battle Amelie and Ninja Sex Party. Do you mean Nate wants to battle? <laughs> Did I say Jeff? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Jeff wants to battle Ninja Sex Party? That's a very... Yes. <laughs> he doesn't want to collaborate. He wants to fight him. Everyone fight Ninja Sex Party. Nate wants to battle. Thank you. Wow. I'm... Mm. <laughs> Jeff is uh, Nate's evil twin. <laughs> he only does covers in a minor key. <laughs> I'm just going to lie here and die. Don't mind me. Uh, yeah, no, all of the above, though. Could you imagine? A re- just, yeah. <laughs> yep. That's it. I'm, I'm done. Good night, everybody. Uh, I definitely concur with those picks. I'm also a big Nate Wants to Battle fan. Uh, I haven't listened to any of Jeff's stuff, so I'll have to give him a listen later on. (laughs) Adding him to my list right now. Um, I will battle all of you. (laughs) Katie Katie wants to battle. battle. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I would love to hear all these guys. I would also, I'm also a big fan fan, fan of Lindsey Sterling um, doing, you know, Oh, uh, violin compositions. Peter Hollins, who normally does a lot of acapella stuff, when he teams up with people who do instrumentation, like it is downright epic. So I'd love to hear um, those. Uh, there are and uh, Lee and Lee and Amelie would be really great. Like there are some really great musicians out there um, that like fill up my day when I listen to them on YouTube. Uh, so I. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff to choose from. I would specifically, since you said Lindsay Sterling, I want her to do a song called Willow's Lament. Oh, dang. Just tantamount of nothing. Like I could just imagine her doing just this mournful, sad song. If we get, if we get like a flashback short of like Willow's sort of descent, Lindsay Sterling, score that. 
because we have all of the influence in the world. But yeah, that was just the first thing that came to my head when you said that. I mean, that's so that's freaking awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and throw out one more musician out there. This is a guy I actually just uh, got recommended to me um, from my uh, friend of mine. This guy's name is Dan Vasque. That's V-A-S-C. And I haven't heard a ton of his stuff, but my friend sent me a co- um, this guy's cover of Toss a Coin from The Witcher. And it has been playing nonstop in my head ever since. So... I'm very grateful to him because he's what convinced you to watch The Witcher. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> I, I, it's, it's inevitable now. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so this, this fight was excellent. This fight um, was epic. The sound was really great. Um, and it, it definitely showed just the depths of how far both of these characters will go to get what they want. And, um, like to the point of, I think Katie said while we were watching it, like James got caught in a saw trap there for a second. Um, and it was, it was one of the most painful things to, to like to watch in Ruby thus far. I'm going to go ahead and say that is the single most graphic thing that Ruby has shown us to date is someone's skin getting burned (laughs) off. He flayed himself to get out of that trap. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was rough. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. Um, do do we have any other thoughts on uh, the Ironwood-Watts fight before we move on to our next topic? Mark, any final thoughts? I think I think we all sort of got it. And I mean, I came in with those two, there are those three big shots at the top. So <laughs> I don't, I don't think I should speak anymore on this topic. <laughs> We have other conspiracies we need to get to. Uh, Stacy, any final thoughts? Yeah, I think I think we covered uh, most of the things I was thinking about, and yeah, you're right. We got lots of conspiracies. Katie, I have one more because I'm a nerd. Um, I really did appreciate that one moment where James is chasing Watts. Watts gets somewhere and kind of looks around, like, "Wait, where did he go?" Right after the <laughs> lava plume, just this moment of there was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom, like. I appreciated that little bit of comedy in this pretty damn serious fight. Good times. Uh, The only other commentary I have in regards to this fight, other than it was awesome and spectacular, was that I wholeheartedly approve of any action set piece that reminds me of Crazy Gadget from Sonic Adventure 2. So, (laughs) kudos, Groovy. That is a very, very specific call out. And yet there will be many who understand. And and to that to that end, go check out Jonathan's young cover of Follow Me on his YouTube. It's absolutely phenomenal. <laughs> he also does a really wait, follow me like from Sonic Heroes? Uh no, I'm sorry, Escape the City. My bad. Oh, okay. I was gonna say, wait, he covered Team Rose's song? <laughs> I have to hear it. Give now. him enough time. He's <laughs> gonna put the podcast on hold for a minute. <laughs> Um, he also does a really fun cover of What I'm Made Of, which I, I think, speaking of Sonic Heroes, I'm really fond of. Um, okay, so let's switch gears a little bit to uh, the other big fight in this episode, which is Robin and Crow and Clover versus Tyrion. And we had a lot of sort of fatalistic predictions about this particular fight last week. And 
I think it's interesting that this episode didn't really necessarily go in that direction, but still gave us a cool action set piece anyway. Uh, what did we think of this fight against this insane serial killer? Let's go ahead and start with Katie. Again, it took like 35 seconds, and I really, really appreciate that. Um, yeah, the choreography was beautiful. These three people who, the three of them have probably never fought together, working extremely well together, because that's what happens when you have pro-huntresses and huntsmen, and just ending it with the full-on explosive arrow, just having a full-on green arrow moment where there's a bag of trick arrows and that's the one that gets him because he's showing off and catches it in his mouth like a jackass. Like, this whole fight was a lot of fun. I wasn't necessarily expecting it to be that short, but I can really appreciate that these three trained huntsmen to made very, very short work of Tyrion and I appreciate that in the span of those 35 seconds, Crow managed to punch him in the face like four times. Like, <laughs> that that stood out to me, and I appreciate that a lot. Kind of vindicating payback <laughs> a little yes. bit. He deserved that. Mark, what did you think? I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was well... It, it sort of was laid out in a similar way to how we predicted. He Crow got his shots in. <laughs> Tyrion was like F this noise started going after the one that was really pissing him off in Clover and got a little bit overzealous and got caught I don't think this is the last fight in in no. any way shape or form between any any number of these four people haha -ha. but <laughs> um yeah mm -hmm. more on that later Stacy what did you think of this fight it was very well executed god and <laughs> It absolutely feels like that is exactly how it should have played out. And I know we talked a lot about, oh, Tyrion's going to like disable at least one of them. There's going to be some crazy things happening. But you know what? The three of them are pros. And we saw that in action. And we saw, I think it was really cool to see kind of Clover and Crow, both very close up fighters. And then Robin for most of the fight handling support long range support but also her coming right in there and you know kicking him in the face when it <laughs> was needed so they all they all got their hits <laughs> kicking Tyrion in the face is always needed yes yes and you know what it, that's an achievement gun but that's amazing <laughs> What are your qualifications for a councilwoman? Well, I have a history of public service. I, you know, only tell the truth, and that is my that is the reputation I have for myself. I'm not afraid to, you know, roll up my sleeves and do hard work myself. Oh, and I kicked a serial killer in the face. <laughs> Bragging rights. If she wasn't already electable before. <laughs> yeah, that's the tipping point. Though that moment got me really paranoid because even though they showed clearly that Tyrion was knocked out, I was like, you got to get as far away from him as possible because he could spring up and stab you at any moment. You have no idea. <laughs> that tale is very unpredictable. God, same. Even though I was even though I was watching by myself, I think I would get out of the way. You're too close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
yeah, uh, when uh, when she's walking up, especially because it's that low angle near her ankles, and just the way he has kind of his back to her, like you kind of expect him to just turn around and use his uh, poison attack on her. And yeah, it it could have gone really bad really quickly. And I'm really glad it ended up with her kicking him in the face and him getting incapacitated. Um, so that, that came out really well. This, this whole fight was really well balanced, I think. And I think it gave us everything we kind of could expect or want from a three on one fight against this particular bad guy. And, uh, kudos again to, I think I'm going to keep saying it for the rest of the volume because he's not dead yet. Kudos to Josh Greeley on an excellent vocal <laughs> performance as this insane madman. Um, but since, and and I'll be honest, I was expecting Tyrion to get killed here, and um, it came as a big surprise when he wasn't killed. And so uh, to grab another question from our Discord, this one from Perfect Harbinger. Thank you, Perfect Harbinger, for submitting your question. Serious question, though. What capacity do we think Watts and Tyrion will be involved with in the future of this show? Uh, Watts, you know, there, we've touched on that a little bit since there is technically a question mark next to his name. But yeah, what, uh, in what way were these two, or potentially just one, be involved in the remainder of the show? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Mark. Well, uh, y'all know how I feel about where Watts is right now. So in terms of Tyrion... Um, I have more of his, my theory on him is sort of more connected with what unfolds at the end of the episode. So I'll just wait until that comes around. (laughs) Wait for, just like a scorpion for the perfect moment to strike. Yeah. (laughs) How about you, Stacey? What part, uh, to play, what, what part does Tyrion have to play in the rest of this volume? I'm, I'm feeling like I might have a similar direction of thought as mark <laughs> does so uh I'll, I'll hold off until we climb into the conspiracy corner <laughs> i mean we're here but yeah are we are if we you want to wait if you i mean that's where we're we're pro- podcasting from for this episode that's true but we're in the conspiracy condo thank you very much <laughs> oh there you go i'll just say i i feel like uh depending on decisions that are not his own there may be another fight with him in the very near future katie yeah, he was awake to hear Ruby's communication and the fallout, and he's sitting there grinning like a maniac in what is essentially very close quarters with these three people. I would not be surprised if he escapes, and I would not be surprised if he McMurders someone in the process. Like, this is, he is dangerous when he's awake. He is someone who really super needs to be double tapped, and he wasn't because, haha, <laughs> due process. But still, like, he needs to go down. He escaped during when his prison transport was attacked by Grimm and then went to Salem and has been causing issues ever since. This is a guy where you won't be safe until he is dead. Kind of like Adam. We did it to Adam. Let's kill him too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, regardless of what sort of transpires in the next couple episodes, whatever happens... Tyrion is going to do everything he can to make a nuisance of himself. Uh, (laughs) And the sun is slightly warm. (laughs) And uh, so I look forward to hearing more of Josh Greeley's insane performance uh, with whatever happens for the rest of the show. 
Um, all right, cool. Do we have any other thoughts on this particular fight or how everything shook out before we move on to our next topic? I do appreciate comparing the two fights that it took a lot to break um, Tyrion's aura, whereas for Watts, it took three solid hits. Just that's it. Dude's not a fighter. Yep, that one was Brian versus Braun. Uh, uh, Stacy, any thoughts? You know, this fight just made me appreciate Clover's fishing hook as a weapon <laughs> so much more. It's it's cool. It's very cool. It's legit pretty great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mark, any final thoughts? That fishing hook is way OP. <laughs> God, right? But, like, p- coupled with his semblance, it's so overpowered. But in because just unfair. Because he's a good guy for now, it's very enjoyable to watch. <laughs> I heard that for now. What's going on? Slipped in there. (laughs) Mike didn't say anything. He was just clearing his throat. Uh, All right. Then uh, before we move on to our next topic, I want to talk to you guys really quickly about iTunes. Folks, thank you so much to everybody who's gone to iTunes to rate and subscribe and leave comments. We love hearing from you, and it does a lot to help make us more searchable for people looking for Rooster Teeth-related content, and it brightens up our day. And we typically like to give shout-outs to people who uh, take the time to leave comments on iTunes. And so we actually do have a new one this week. And do-do-do-do-do. I've got it up if you want me to do it. Oh, go for it. GBRL123, which seems like Gabriel123. Theories uh, with five stars. Uh, As a completely non-theoretical, unintuitive, unimaginative person who stops thinking about the show as soon as it's over, I enjoy hearing the theories you guys come up with. It inspires me to think about my own theories, which, of course, someone has already thought of in the Discord. Unfortunately, I'm not completely satisfied with this podcast because I feel like there have been a shortage on puns. Are you guys repressing Katie? Katie, I know this is a podcast, but blink twice if you need help. Love you guys. Quiet you. <laughs> Back to the no, no, no nook with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so, so much. Uh, that <laughs> that comment brings me unending joy. So thank you so much, GBRL123. You rock. <laughs> we really appreciate you. Um, but there are other ways you can interact with us. We have a Discord, as we've mentioned. We've been reading off questions from this particular Discord. And if you want to join in the conversation, you can hop into our Discord. And the link is in the description below. Uh, so come join us. It's a good time. And a, even if you don't want to talk theories, there's fan art. There's a creative writing thread. There's um, general media spoilers. If you just can't... like if. If you saw a movie and you can't wait to talk about it as soon as you get home, like there's a lot of ways to interact with us via the Discord. It's a really good time. My personal favorite is the fan art thread. Um, but you can also interact with us on Twitter, and we have a few Twitter shoutouts this week as well. Yes. Um, I wanted to thank YoungBro323, who is also in our Discord, but he wanted to make sure that we saw the name of the mammoth grim that we were talking about and it was close to what i had said it's a meg goliath yes oh. and uh yeah it very the ruby twitter account tweeted it out but i uh, thank you young bro for making sure that we saw it 
I also want to take this time to to give a special thanks to both Cam Griffin and Jester's Chessboard on Twitter, who are killing it in the fan art game. Um, Cam Griffin sent us a, he did this both on the Discord and on Twitter. Uh, he sent a delightful bit of mimetic fan art on, of uh, us going up into the love loft a little bit. Uh, it was more meme-based, but it was pretty great. And he's also been posting fun meme things in regards to cinder's plan um <laughs> in the discord and he also just posted something which will date when we're recording this episode that uh huh, god clover ebby's favorite brand is real big fish <laughs> <laughs> and i hate him i hate him for it so much he went fishing for that Don't. one <laughs> and uh and jester's chessboard i don't remember if we mentioned this a couple episodes ago but jester's chessboard did a wonderful fan art of raven the spring maiden who happens to be a chicken yes yeah we, we <laughs> talked about that a few weeks ago yeah i couldn't remember if we had or not but uh it it brought me so much joy so thank you jester's chessboard again and also, uh, Janice Acevedo, uh, Corazon Unicorn, who has just been on it with the theory game recently. Good times, great oldies, we're all terrified. So yeah, thank you guys uh, to everybody who, who interacts with us, whether it's on social media, in our Discord, uh, or via the iTunes comments. It really means a lot to us, and it is so, so much fun. So thank you guys so, so much. And if you haven't already done so, go ahead and... Uh, you know, you can hit us up on social media at the Rooster Team on Twitter. So, yeah, again, thank you guys so, so much for all the ways that you support and interact with us. You guys are the best. All right, let's get back to it. So after these two big fight sequences, we think we get a moment of reprieve when uh, Ironwood starts walking out with Watts's case, and then... It's the sudden realization seems to dawn on him. And that's when he calls Winter and asks her whether uh, whether or not anyone has gotten past her to get through, basically to infiltrate uh, the spring or the Winter Maiden's location, which is something we were talking about at length in the last episode. And so Winter goes to basically straight to the location of the Winter Maiden and Cinder's close behind because she's at Atlas Academy leaving a little note for Ironwood. So knowing that Winter is on her way to obtain the powers of the Winter Maiden, I, I want to ask everybody here, based on what we know about Winter and the bits of character development that we've gotten from her this volume... Is she, what is she about to do here? What are her next steps uh, given Ironwood's orders to take the powers of the Winter Maiden? What, what do we think? Is she going to do that? Or is that something that she will end up refusing to do because she feels the need to follow her heart? Uh, let's go ahead and start with Stacy. I mean, I think we can all kind of guess what Ironwood told her, you know, <laughs> whatever is necessary. Uh, I I feel like we're still at the point where Winter is pretty loyal to Ironwood. 
However, I think that it'll turn into a try to protect and hold off anyone trying to infiltrate before taking that drastic measure. I think. (laughs) I think. I am honestly not entirely sure about some of these some of these uh huntresses and huntsmen right now yeah it it really is a coin toss you know whose loyalty do you adhere to do you follow your heart or do you follow your orders and uh she's not the only one that has to wrestle with that dilemma later in this episode mark what do you think what's winter's next play i think the last thing it's based on the last thing that we saw in the episode when Ruby sends the call out, we see that Penny and winter are together. And I think we're going to have a follow up of the conversation that they had earlier in the season after dinner or in the middle of dinner where they talk about humanity and where we go from there might depend on whoever shows up to say hi to Freya. Do you want to do a murder? (laughs) I really do think that Penny being there is going to influence Winter's choices, especially since if Cinder does show up and try to take down Winter or take down Freya herself, Penny being there evens the odds a lot. Like, that is not something that Winter without Maiden powers would have been able to handle, but Penny being there to help definitely makes that a much more even fight. So it would be interesting to see how that goes down. But yeah, I do think it's going to be protection before just straight up murdering a woman. Because that's... <laughs> they've become friends. It's uh, That's a hard thing to do. And again, I still think that Freya, should things go south, will take matters into her own hands. We don't know much about her, but I would not be surprised. This is someone who under who I assume understands the responsibility of having maiden powers and would not want to pass them on to someone who is quite obviously trying to steal them. That said, I find Ironwood's question to Winter interesting in its wording. Was anyone caught sneaking into the school? The answer is no. Winter is correct in that. But that doesn't mean that nobody tried it because obviously Cinder succeeded. So just just the way that he words things, I think, gives us some insight into how he thinks. So I appreciated that. I, I concur. I think Penny is definitely going to influence Winter's decision in some capacity. I think it's going to be less of like, hey, this isn't the right thing to do. You know it. And I do think it is going to be a follow your heart moment. But if uh, if you don't mind me <laughs> coming up to the board here, Mark, I have a little bit of an outlandish theory. And it's less of an outlandish theory and more um, something I uh, a wish that I want to put out there into the world that I hope comes true. Bring it on. I hope. We do get a maiden fight um, within the next couple episodes, but I don't necessarily mean the the fight between Winter and Cinder. I mean the fight between Freya and Cinder. (laughs) Not what I thought you were going to say, but I'm still here for it. (laughs) Because (laughs) Freya has had Lord knows how many years to develop and hone and perfect these powers and abilities and I love the idea like it's it's entirely possible that she hasn't had the powers for you know 
for decades or whatever. But I think the far the the implication is that she's had years and years and years to hone these abilities and perfect her techniques and everything like that. And I really love the idea of pompous, arrogant, <laughs> overconfident <laughs> Cinder strolling into this facility, uh, having a little bit of a skirmish with Penny and Winter, only to get knocked on her friggin' ass by a woman who's not going to get out of bed. <laughs> like, I kind of love that. I don't necessarily think that's the direction that we're going, but it would bring me oh so much joy. <laughs> so... That's. I just want to put that out into the universe. No, that's fun because technically Cinder is still sort of growing in her power. So seeing somebody rising into their powers fight somebody that's sort of, eh, for lack of a better term, coming down from them could present an interesting situation. So then we wind up with a, I, I'm building on this, with a three-on-one fight where it's Penny and Freya and Winter versus Cinder. Yeah. I appreciate this. I like this. I want it. Make it happen, Rooster Teeth. Like the episode's like not already rendered. <laughs> I would like to posit something in a direction that I thought Megan was going. <laughs> go for yeah. it. Since since I didn't since I didn't go that way, I, I zigged when you wanted me to zag. Go for it. Zag away. So how much do we really know about the maiden transfer process? Nothing. Just yep, that it, very little. it goes to the last um, girl, female, young per- woman. Yeah, young woman that you were thinking of at the time of your death. And if you weren't thinking of any particular young woman when you died, it's random. That's, I believe, all we know. We also know, as told by Ospin to, or as told to Pira from Ospin. Sorry for saying that name if that triggers anybody. <laughs> but Pira, no! as a way. <laughs> As a way to transfer the powers, they are going to transfer Amba's aura. So it is aura-based. Is it possible that because she has an actual aura, that Penny is a legitimate candidate for maiden powers? Yes. The question is whether or not the fact that the aura comes from an old man is a disqualifier or not. If, nope. the, if the powers will recognize it. Penny's her own person. I mean, she is, yes, but yeah, you never know. You never know. I, yeah. Penny's a real girl. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to posit that and put it out there. I love that. I love the idea of them overpowering Cinder, uh, the three of them together, and throwing her into one of those aura transfer chambers, and then Penny gets to be the new fall maiden. <laughs> If that's your theory, I'm down. But I'm just I'm <laughs> yes. just putting the thought out there into the into the world. Uh, you put the picture down on the board, and I'm gonna go ahead and t- grab this string and connect those dots. It's like pin the tail on the on the paranoia. <laughs> I'd I'd like to uh, reprise. Do you wanna do a murder? <laughs> oh. It doesn't have to be on Freya. <laughs> Cinder <you> bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay <laughs> so uh either way we're not really going to get much development on that um until next week uh but i love the theories that we've put out there uh but let's let's go ahead and talk about this 
a scene with Ironwood where the Aesops and Team Ruby are all together in one room and Ironwood has made the discovery that Cinder was in fact in this room to send him a message and for a moment it seems like James is the one in conspiracy corner because he starts we really do see the paranoia come to the forefront of like what if Mantle was all a distraction what if it was part of their plan to have us team up with Mantle like he seemed like he was the one in conspiracy corner connecting uh, outlandish dots and it makes everybody uncomfortable and this whole scene comes to a really intense climax. Um, And I actually want to touch on uh, another question from our Discord. This one from HockeyChunk98. I guess all I'd want to talk about is how well Ironwood's arc has been written up to now. Ruby standing her ground, then broken, and then back together again. Uh, And also how Atlas is the worst (laughs) time place ever. But that's more all-day, everyday thing for me. So, yeah, guys, what do we think of Ironwood's arc overall in the volume thus far and specifically in this episode where he seems to do a heel face turn? Uh, Let's go ahead and start with Katie. This is a guy who started out the volume needing a nap and a vacation. He has been, high strung's not necessarily the word, but he has been under a lot of pressure and cracking from the get-go. Things got better when they started to work out a little bit. We had that victory with figuring out that Jacques was indeed rigging the election. We figured a few things out. We had some success, and he beat Watts. But then, yeah, all it takes is one little figurine to break him down. So I am not at all surprised that we wound up back here because he was already on edge and trying to save everyone himself, and he's just kind of watching all of his worst fears come true, in that someone else is infiltrated, in that something else is happening, they missed some of the pieces, everything's going wrong. Like, you can see it snowballing, and you can't blame him, because he still needs a nap and a vacation. Like, everything has been going wrong for him for weeks So I'm not surprised that we ended up here. It makes a lot of sense for his character from where he started this season and the developments and ups and downs that we've seen. And even on this side of the fourth wall, knowing that Cinder and Neo are doing their own thing. And it's just like Cinder to show up and leave a calling card because she's kind of a dick. So yeah, I'm not surprised that we got here. I'm a little sad. It sucks when the good guys fight each other and everyone thinks they're right. But yeah, I think this was well-written. I think this was in character. I think this was telegraphed pretty well. And I'm not surprised we're here. Mark, how about you? I want to shout out the camera department because at the beginning, so at this first office scene where it started, where everything started and I sort of, you know, I'm not trying to bring it back up that I called it, but... (laughs) Just, I'm, I'm, I'm legit not, and I apologize for even saying that. But my favorite thing that I noticed watching this again, in that last scene, Ironwood was sitting at his desk. And so the eye line of everybody was sort of, it was, it was fairly similar. It was trying to present that everybody was on a similar footing, a similar ground. There, everybody was on the same page. With this scene... We had Salem show her power with her size. And 
just with her looming over James, it expressed fear and it expressed power. And as we moved from uh, Salem fizzling out and then James coming front and center, we have a similar, if not the same shot, but instead of him sitting at his desk and being on the same level, he is now expressing that same fear and that same power that Salem was doing, not to say that they're on the same page, but they showed us with the big bad what this size and what this angle means. And then they mimicked that same angle at a different perspective with James showing that we should be feeling the same emotion here now that James is showing his new power. And I love them for it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Visual storytelling, guys. I'm going to say it from now until forever. Visual storytelling. And this show excels at it. Um, Stacy, what did you think? And You know, having this happen this far along in the season was almost an extremely satisfying like turn of events, a transformation that we all knew was always simmering there. I mean, just, just like the past couple of weeks we've been you know making amends for predicting that ironwood was going to be a paranoid mess and awful the entire season as far as trusting and and so it's like oh no he's he's doing so good he's being open we're moving forward <laughs> and then this happens and this i mean this is what kind of predicted from the beginning but to have it happen now at this point again a masterclass in storytelling really the most I can say about how these these events have unfolded. But to see him just completely break, to have the right mindset, to to understand what the most effective ways well, or to have him try the more humane, more approachable and open ways. And then to have that one tipping point, that one thing, everything has been building and building. And then one tipping point, it's no, we're going with the most effective way, the ways that I know work. And here we are now. (laughs) Well, and he's also found out over the course of this evening that pretty much all of Team Ruby has lied to him in one way or another. There's the question of how did Robin find out about the Amity Project, and then there's Ruby letting slip that the lamp showed them everything that Salem did after they'd told Ironwood that there were no more questions. Because on the one hand, yeah, they were technically telling the truth because it was Oz told us there were no more questions, and that is the truth, but the actual truth of the matter is there are still, that is a fiddly little lie of omission, and it has come back to bite everyone. So I appreciate that we had that and that we put that all together that quickly. I have been dreading this. <laughs> um, because Ironwood has been, uh, when we first uh, meet him at the, at the top of the volume, uh, he is a man on, on edge. He is a man on the edge and any any sense of relief or you know some anything that would reduce his anxiety is kind like all those hopes are dashed when he finds out that Ozpin has sort of disappeared and so even though 
uh, he was warm and welcoming in some regards at the top of the volume. And it's it's been heartbreaking, too, because as he's been looking at Team Ruby and Team Juniper's progress all volume becoming professional huntsmen and in the training room and going out on real huntsman missions like on more than one occasion he's looked out at like the the young people who are reporting to him and he's looked very proud and it's just it's been really unsettling any moment we start to tip back to him being on the edge and but then he he always comes back around to being that supportive, good-hearted man trying to do the right thing. And so this this is ultimately the thing that I've been dreading is him finally going over that line. And like it's it's something that's equal parts heartbreaking and yet 100% satisfying because it's payoff for an entire volume of this guy teetering on and off that edge. It's it's so so good and yet I'm so upset. <laughs> and I'm <laughs> I'm still hoping that there's a way for him to come back around, but I I do kind of feel like at the end of the volume he might either have to make up for that by sacrificing his life or they might have our our team might have to incapacitate him and make their exit to vacuo <laughs> i'm not i'm not quite sure how we're going to leave things but seeing this payoff with ironwood is so so satisfying and yet i'm i've never been so happy to see something pan out in a way where i'm still yelling no i believe in him and i want him to be good let's be real if we wind up with a sacrifice or if he winds up dying i'm real worried about shade academy's headmaster because then we will have been three for three for killing headmasters of schools It'll not a good time for the masters. It's like the uh, defense against the dark arts profession at Hogwarts. (laughs) (laughs) If you if you run a school, you're in trouble. (laughs) It's a really bad time to be in higher education. (laughs) Lots of resignation letters starting to pour in. (laughs) Man. Oh man. Um, I just imagine the SpongeBob meme. All right, I'm gonna head out. like headmaster we've just received word that ironwood has has died as well as leo lionheart well this might be a bad time to go ahead and announce that i'm retiring and uh you are now the headmaster <laughs> I, got, I gotta get out of here right now i can't even stay around to say goodbyes i'm just i'm, I'm out you're not even gonna give your two weeks notice what and be two weeks from retirement <laughs> no no <laughs> Oh, it would be fun to go to vacuum see Team Coffee again. <laughs> Maybe they'll die. <laughs> Jesus. Whoa. Whoa. What the hell, Katie? <laughs> We're killing a lot of people, and we also just flayed a man alive. Like, shit's going down on Ruby. You never know. You never know. We're at Game of Thrones levels if no one is safe. Uh, things are escalating rather quickly, but... um. <laughs> But to to touch on what you were saying, Mark, uh, Salem kind of makes a grand entrance in here. And it kind of makes me wonder whether Ironwood being tipped over the edge was a direct result of the negative feelings exuded by the Grimm or 
like if that had any influence on him at all, or if it really just is the pressure of this entire volume just coming to a head. I'm not sure, but one of those creepy jellyfish seer, uh, <laughs> <laughs> seer uh, grim pops out of the bag, uh, and. Salem makes a grand entrance and this is so cool because even though she's big and imposing like the the smoke is willowing around her and she's still translucent because she's not really there it's it's and not to mention that Jen Taylor's vocal performance is always 100% on point for Salem this was a big moment because I think for a lot of the characters here, this is the first time they've ever actually interacted with her and not a vision of her um, projected by Emerald. This is the first time they're actually seeing her and hearing her speak. And she does make quite an impression. Uh, but something in addition to just kind of her her low-key not so low-key threats against atlas um to ironwood ruby stands up and basically says the thing that we've been repeating all volume we don't have to kill you to stop you we we've been saying that ever since we saw the fairy tale episode from last season um we you know we don't we have to kill you to stop you and that's when she turns to ruby recognizes who she is and says your mother said the same thing she was wrong and we got there's a lot of discussion going on in our discord about this particular moment and how it affects ruby so first and foremost let's start with one of the many questions posed by cam griffin uh in regards to this particular topic is summer still alive and this isn't the first time we've we've discussed this particular point but I feel like it's worth circling back to after this episode so thank you Cam for submitting this and all your other questions it's great is summer still alive let's start with Katie I keep coming back to this well of yes <laughs> yes she disappeared she has silver eyes she's plot important she's gotta be around somewhere in some capacity and it's going to be horrifying when we see her also this makes me think that we're going to get something else coming down the line because this is the first time we've gotten an actual render of her model like actually moving not just the white cloak not just a photograph we've gotten an actual render of her model so we know it exists I'm pulling for a Team Stark flashback episode. Please give it to me, probably next season, because everything has gone too far to hell this season to really fit that in. But yeah, I don't think we get full models for characters who are going to do a whole lot of nothing ever. So yeah, I can see her still being out there, and I can see it being just absolutely awful when we do find out where. Stacy, is Summer alive or dead? You know, at this point, I honestly hope not, simply because if she is, we are not going to like it. <laughs> knowing knowing that Salem is the last person, most likely, that she, you know, went to see, what to go after, there is no good that can come from her still being alive with Salem being involved. Yeah, 
Mark? I like how that could be taken as either a reaction to directly what Stacy said or the fact that my paranoid ass was next. Por que no los dos? <laughs> Fair. So I think that she is alive against her will. Oh. We've, we've yeah. similarly seen, we see with Freya, she is on life support. We've seen with Autumn, she is on life support. We've seen with Raven, she should be on life support because she's a terrible mom. Four, we, I, I, what I'm saying is there, there's a bit of a theme that she we're seeing where... She should be paying child support specifically. Yeah. If you, uh, if you go on the thread of the old generation hesitating or waiting to hand off the reins of society and the future to the next generation. And I think... We're seeing that from a variety of perspectives when it comes to the the militaristic atmosphere of of this thing with with Freya that we're still kind of in the middle of. We saw it with Autumn. We saw it with Raven. But whereas she's being very selfish about it, and I think there's going to be a similar theme with Salem. And I think also the visual of at least for the, from an audience perspective, and I think maybe it'll hit. If it happens, it will hit John the worst because he actually saw it of seeing Oz have Autumn sort of alive against her will and then seeing Salem have Summer alive against her will will be this clash of, well, they're the same. They're both doing the same thing. They're both holding on to quote a Star War. You're still holding on, you know, that that sort of a thing. <laughs> and and I think... Ultimately, I think they're going to go with something thematic, no matter what, of holding off on handing the reins to this new generation. I think there might be something to that. Because um, uh, the last time we visited this topic, I kind of planted my feet in the ground and I was like, nope, Summer's definitely dead. Um, and I still sort of lean, that that still tends to be the direction I lean in, just, again, because of Red Like Roses Part 2, but the words, you know, I don't do what I did and um, end your life in vain, but if she's suffering a face, fate worse than death, then, like, that might, you know, that might not explicitly mean that she died, and also the song shouldn't be taken as 100% canon anyway. Um, so I was a lot more confident in saying that Summer's definitely dead, prior to this moment um yeah now i don't know and now i'm kind of hoping that she is because as stacy said if and as you were saying mark and is we were always saying if she is alive it's not good and it's yeah it's going to be in a, and there's a lot of theories right now going around that summer may in fact be working for salem against her will um, I, in one capacity or another, maybe she was brainwashed, maybe Salem's forcing her to do it by using magic, maybe, maybe she ended up blackmailing her in some capacity in terms of like, you do this or I'll destroy your children because she seemed to recognize Ruby really quickly. Um, 
So to kind of go off of that, Cam also asks, what did Salem mean when she says that Summer was wrong? What does that mean? Uh, Let's go ahead and start. Since we're here, Mark, what do you think? Like, I think that can mean anything, really. Like, we don't know the conversation that they had. We don't know the specificity of the interaction. We don't know if some are still alive you know so or what happened in you know what or what happened in order for like on salem's what salem's reaction to summer's everything was we don't know the whole everything so i think it is very difficult to posit what she means (laughs) it's just it's just trigger that's all it is stacy yeah, I I agree for the most part. I do think it lends a little bit of um, credence to the idea that Summer was not outright killed by Salem, or at least not right away, uh, which would probably explain how she knows so much about Summer's family, knows kind of where to hit and how to hit. So I think she put up a strong front and salem took a lot of pleasure in piece by piece breaking that down which is horrifying to think about (laughs) yeah not great katie i'm also gonna go ahead and say that salem might be lying her ass off (laughs) like who's gonna contradict her oz isn't in the room no one else knows. Why not just be like, yes, how can I break this tiny child who revealed one of my few insecurities? I know. Like, yeah, there's there's definitely some credence to this, but, you know, it doesn't matter what the conversation is. You take the one little bit that you know is going to absolutely fuck with this person and you present it out of context and give them nothing else and just let them choke on it. Like... It doesn't matter what else was said. This is what Salem is doing. She could be lying. She could be taking something out of context. Doesn't matter. It's all a play. That said, I am going to say something completely horrible and say, you know, what if she threw Summer in the grim pool? You that, monster. No, no, that was... <laughs> I don't like it. That was, that was something that I almost said. Just because, like, what if she was trying to make a second vessel for her? And tried to replicate it by throwing her in the grim pit, and so she's technically alive? It's like, hmm, I wonder what happens if you put a mortal in there. Let's find out. I don't need to keep this one. Conversely, what happens... Hmm. Is the immortality pool still around? If you throw a maiden into the immortality pool then she's not going to die and pass on that power exactly. without an aura transfer machine. Exactly. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. oh, boy. Ruby's going to kill her mom. No! <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Those were not the words I was expecting to hear. I love that we're just picking this up and running with it. That like, was the simplest way to put it. Oh. Again, we, we do still have to question whether the immortality pool is still functional, And my thought would be no, because why the hell would Salem not make her hench peoples immortal? Why wouldn't we do that? Because they're not maidens. But even just to have, like, Tyrion is horrifyingly loyal. Let's be real. 
Why would you not make him immortal and just keep because that he can't survive it because he's not a maiden? Is what I'm trying to say. No, no, no. I'm uh, what I'm saying is she was thrown in the immortality pool and came out just as a normal human. Why would you not continue to do that if it was still around and functional? She was a being with magic, and she was uh, also cursed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, yeah. There's there's a lot to go into it. Also, if you're an immortal being, would you want the only other immortal being being Tyrion? Like, even if he is super loyal and useful to you, would you really want him around for forever? The answer is no. <laughs> yeah, you probably want him, like, in that stage where you could get rid of him if you absolutely needed to. Not if, when you absolutely needed <laughs> yeah. to. This is true. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> That's a dangerous gift for a guy like Tyrion. <laughs> yeah. No, I... Nope. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, I wow. The the idea that like summer is being kept alive. Uh, yeah, or or if just for kicks and giggles, if Salem decided to be like, "Hey, you know the thing that happened to me? What if I do that to somebody and throw them in the immortality pool and then throw them in the darkness pool or do it in the opposite direction? How is it different? I've got time on my hands. Why not try to figure it out?" <laughs> so, I could definitely see that. That's who, who, um, yeah. So let's hope. I, I hate to say this. Let's hope Summer's dead because the alternatives are not great. Uh, <laughs> I never thought yeah. I'd say that, but let's hope Summer's dead. Um, <laughs> uh, I also want to point out, just talking about this scene, um, as Ruby is getting flashes of her mother. Um, her silver eyes seem to flicker and flash and she breaks down in tears and uh, protector of best girls in our discord channel wanted us to point out about how Yang is every bit as upset over Salem's harsh words but has to hide it to be Ruby's rock and how even in the the wake of this Ruby was able to stand up to Salem right after she was intimidating Ironwood, get knocked down by Salem in this moment, and then get right back up again. Nothing's ever going to keep her down, and I will never not quote that. <laughs> thank you. That's where I was going, too. <laughs> um, but uh, thank you, Protector of Best Girls, for, for submitting that. Yeah, what did we think of this moment uh, between Ruby and Yang? Because, yeah, this is this is their family Salem's talking about so flippantly and so callously. What did we think of this uh, moment between these sisters? Let's start with Stacy. Yang is a good big sister. Yeah. I mean, that's, as a big sister, that's what you do. That's, when it's, when it's your younger siblings, like, you keep your shit together <laughs> and take care of them first. And they all, I mean, I think they all kind of came together in this moment, too, especially Ying and Ruby, though. Um, Ying just, <laughs> just gonna grab her and get her in the most comfortable position and let her you know, go through that moment while knowing she wasn't alone. And I think that was a really nice reflection of their bond. Mark? I like how specifically, Stacey, you acknowledge that this is a moment between a a big sister and a little sister. Man, big brothers and little brothers are not, do not have the same sort <laughs> of, hey, it'll be all right, especially <laughs> at this age. It's usually like a 
punch. Shut up, idiot. But uh, <laughs> totally, totally agree. Um, Ruby, man, her, she, I think we're going to see this scene later as well. We're going to see this sort of uh, callback to how emotionally she couldn't handle it. And near the very end, end, end game, she's going to be able to handle it. But yeah, the, their bond, you know, this this sort of also goes along with the theme they were saying of presenting team as a function versus team as a family. And I, I think we've got two more episodes of seeing how that particular theme is going to play out. But this is a wonderful moment. Katie? Well, and Yang also deals with things differently than Ruby does. Yang has, from the get-go, reacted with, get mad first, figure it out later. And that's the sort of thing that really helps when you have to be someone's rock, is, no, I'm not going to fall apart, I'm going to fall back on this, I will take care of them, and then later on, I will sort my shit out. Because that's how they do it, whereas Ruby's was, oh shit, process this now, and then she's going to get up and hit someone in the goddamn face. Like, they have opposite reactions to things, and it helps. Yeah, this is uh, this is a great this is a great moment between the two of them. And I think in, in terms of like all of them being there for one another um, is going to be very, very important for, you know, the rest of the plot moving forward, because Team Ruby isn't divided here. They are together. They haven't split up yet. And I feel like Team Ruby acting as a team and as a family for the rest of the volume is going to be integral to however all of this is going to end up resolving itself. Um, if it does. <laughs> yeah, if it does, we might end on a cliffhanger. Um, oh, man, that would be so upsetting. Um, but, yeah, I I concur that, like, the, the function versus family is kind of more where we're leaning, especially because where this scene ends up going, Salem, you know, pieces out. <laughs> she takes her leave. She vanishes. And then our antagonist then once again becomes Ironwood, who declares that he's going to enact martial law, abandon Mantle to die, uh, so that he can save as many people as he possibly can, it before Salem ends up reaching them, which uh, again, what she actually has planned uh, up in the air is what she's actually doing. Um, and what we have here is him placing Team Ruby under arrest uh, and leaving the Aesops to enact that particular order. Now, guys, we we kind of had an inkling that this might be where we were going way back when Harriet mentioned that they were not friends, that they were all just co-workers, and having that contrasted with Weiss, Weiss's declaration that her and her team were a family. So we kind of knew that this was a possibility eventually at some point down the road, but this is the moment where it seems to be coming to a head. Our <laughs> and so we have another question from our Discord, Again, thank you so, so much to everybody who submitted questions in the Discord. We got a question from Cody. Uh, thank you so much for submitting that, Cody. 
are all the Aesops going to fight Team Ruby? Now, we, we've made friends with a few of them, or so it seems. We seem to get along well with Elm. Uh, Harriet's a little Sundary, but she seems to have taken a shine to Ruby. Um, and Marrow is a good, good boy who we all really, really appreciate. So, yeah, guys, are all the Aesops going to fight Team Ruby? Or are some of them going to turn? Let's go ahead and start with Mark. So before I answer this, I just wanted to shout out, I forget who said it in our Discord, but they pointed out that the Megoliaths might mm-hmm. be part of of Salem's plan flashing back to season two when we first see the Goliaths. Um, uh, Drew Ublek mentions that they're very old and very smart, which could posit that they are from, they are as old as being with Salem from the beginning of Remnant and possibly having more of a connection with her than some of the other Grimm. So yeah, they've been around longer. There was that theory, but I, to answer the question, no, I do not think all of the Aesops are going to fight team Ruby. Um, Going back to the theory earlier that I mentioned with Tyrion, I think Clover is going to leave to try to help smooth out the situation between Ironwood and the rest of his team and whatever, leaving to leaving Tyrion to escape and then leading to the actual fight that we see in the opening credits between Robin, Crow, and Tyrion on the streets of Mantle. So there's that. But also something that I want everybody to go back and watch is how terrified Marrow looks throughout the entire oh. scene because he looked he just looked so out of place his eyes were going back and forth he didn't have a poker face where everybody else was just sort of kind of chest puffed out listening to everything that was happening but he is very very scared and i think in that fear he's either going to slip up and provide an advantage for Team Ruby to get the upper hand, or, unfortunately, like I predicted earlier in the season, he may get put down because he acts against orders. Oh! Old Yellard. It's, we talked about it earlier, and even more, like I noticed on the second, on the second viewing, just how scared he was. And it's just, again, the animators and the story team all of that nonverbal communication to see all of this stuff going through Marrow's head just in quick flashes and he's not even in the foreground is remarkable. Well, and you think about his semblance, he has the game ender. We've seen it twice where he can just stop people with a command and it's basically, that's it, that's the fight. Like, I don't actually see this fight going anywhere because I pointed this out to Megan when we were watching it for the second time, and then you want to say the brilliance that you came up with? Uh, no, I don't remember. No, you're the one that pointed <laughs> out that he's probably not going to stay with the Aesops. Oh, yeah, he could he could very well use his ability to stop the Aesops from attacking, give Team Ruby a chance to run away. Maybe. Or he could stop everyone. I, I think there's an issue directly with how afraid he is. And Ooh. it's all about like the the 
idea of the alpha dog and the pack leader. If he's scared and tries to do these commands, what if he can't because he doesn't have the confidence to exhibit alpha tendencies? And as a result, his semblance can't work. There's also the possibility that he will freeze entirely and not throw in on one side or the other. (laughs) oh like when dogs get really scared during when fireworks go off on the fourth of july (laughs) oh poor marrow he's just gonna hide under a table with his tail literally between his legs oh poor baby poor thing uh stacy what do you think I, I mean, I agree. I think Mero is very undecided at this moment, and I think we're going to see a lot of him continuing to look very frightened as a fight breaks out in front of him. Uh, ultimately, I do think he's he's something's going to happen that kind of snaps him into it, and he'll pull it together and, yeah, probably take Team Ruby's side and help them get out of there and get on with their business. Um as for the rest of them, I think they're fairly loyal. I I would have said Elm before this point, but her reaction to finding out that Blake and Yang told Robin about the communications tower mm. kind of changed my mind on that. She seemed pretty deeply betrayed and very upset about that action. I don't think it was her, oh, yeah, look at these with the, these kids with their new ideas and their, like, trusting tendencies. Not looking so good. And Elm was also the one when they were questioning, well, why did Ironwood pull us back? We're not done evacuating yet. You don't question your orders, kids. You just follow them. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's the mindset. Yeah, I think she's pretty firmly in there. And I think Harriet, too, uh, looked just straight up determined. There was no hesitation in her mind. Yeah, I, I think out of everybody, Harriet's the one most likely to stick to her guns and um, like, I I feel like she's the one that you would need to convince the most to, to turn against Ironwood and to go against orders. Um, Everyone else though, I I do feel like there is some measure of conflict or some way that you could convince them otherwise. But um, altogether, I think out of everybody, Marrow and Elm are probably the ones most likely to turn um, on their own team and support Team Ruby. It's hard to say, though. Um, and uh, we actually saw a little something on social media. And granted, this has been quote tweeted and tweeted out by somebody else and somebody who made an observation on uh, Tumblr, actually. So uh, looking at the screen caps that were tweeted out, this is uh, Lucas Verbeek on Tumblr wrote and did a little zoom and enhance action with the opening. So apparently we needed to pay uh, closer attention to the opening because it looks like the fight with the Aesops was hinted at from the very beginning. And he does, or they do some screen caps of uh, Team Ruby standing on rooftops in the opening, and there are some silhouetted shadows in front of them. And uh, (laughs) they have uh, circled these silhouettes and equated them to members of the Aesops, namely Harriet, Marrow, and potentially Vine. So it seems as though, if if this is to be believed, that, yeah, this has been something that's been foreshadowed even in the opening since the very beginning. Um, 
I tend to, th- I, I think that's a great observation. I definitely never noticed. And if this was an intentional hint on the part of Kruby, kudos, because way to hint at it without ever giving it away. <laughs> um, that's pretty incredible. But yeah, I I think that that's a cool hint if that is in fact the case. Um Katie's right though Marrow's ability uh if uh, under the uh, under the assumption that he can get it together and use it I I feel like he either needs to be the first one incapacitated in this fight to prevent that from happening or it's ultimately going to be his choice to allow team Ruby to get some time to try to stop Ironwood um all right, so yeah, any final thoughts on Team Ruby versus the Aesops and how all of this is going to go down? Mark? I think the best way to equate it would be um, groans, uh, a series of anticipated <laughs> uh, teeth gritting, um, the biting of nails, um, a variety of just uncomfortable noises and the fact that I'm going to be uh, at work and hopefully finding a, a good enough time to watch this next episode and the, the aftermath of this as soon as I can on Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to have to throw my phone out the window the night before so that like <laughs> nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody spoils me on social media. No spoilers. <laughs> Stacy, how about you? Any final thoughts? Uh, so I want to, I want to touch back on the point Mark made about Clover because uh, I I'm I'm still in camp hoping that he uh, turns tail and sides with Crow and Robin and they get out of there. Yeah. Uh, however, however, uh, thinking about the opening credits, I do think that we are also looking at the possibility that he frees Tyrion to distract Clo- uh, Crow and Robin as no he way. makes his way back up. That that was my my working theory. I'm hoping that is not the case. Yeah, dude. Uh, he looked very surprised. He did not look on board right away. But he could also be sedentary and free. And we get our opening scenes fight. See, I think that Tyrion gets out, but I think we're ascribing a little a little too much uh, malice to Clover for that. Because even if they're on opposite sides of things, all three of them can agree that Tyrion needs to stay down. <laughs> to stay captive, <laughs> he is dangerous and he will do all of the murders and has done so already. Like, I don't think he's desperate enough for that to happen because that's one step forward and a whole lot of steps back. Well, they're but abandoning I, Mantle. I do think that Crow's bad luck is enough to get Tyrion out, generally speaking, especially if Clover splits off to do something else. But we also still have, they're all in midair right now in essentially a locked room. So this is a locked door conversation between two people very obviously on the side of, please don't, one person on the side of, well, I'm loyal to the guy you want to please don't, and one person on the side of, <laughs> so, you know, we'll see. I, I'm, I will be really interested to see how that conversation goes, because I do think it'll be a conversation before it ever becomes violence that's gonna be interesting also mark you stole my joke if megan asked if i had final thoughts i was just gonna kind of scream for a little bit damn it i really like the idea of crow and robin jumping up assuming that clover is going to turn on them and him going no 
no, I'm on board. <laughs> Whatever you guys want to do. <laughs> like, no, 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 I'm not going back up there. Hold on. <laughs> no, I'm down. My boyfriend's on this flight. I'm not going anywhere. Um, like, we can only hope. <laughs> I, I also love the idea that you touched on, Katie, of Crow's bad luck allowing Tyrion to go free, but then because Clover doesn't betray them, his good luck causing Tyrion to... Uh, either get trampled by a megaliath or, like, I don't know, uh, a plane crashes into him or something. <laughs> I just... Oh, I, I, something... That character deserves a really satisfying end in some way, shape, or form. So I hope maybe we'll get it at the end of this volume. Like I said, I'm surprised he made it out of this fight alive. So we'll see. But we have... One more scene that we need to touch on real, real quick before we wrap it up. And that's as Ruby sends out this distress signal, Team Juniper gets the the memo before uh, Ironwood disables her communications. And they are looking in an empty room filled with broken Atlesian soldiers wondering where Oscar is. Now, what has happened to our poor baby? What happened to the baby? Did Neo get him? Did he make a run for it when uh, the Elysian soldiers turned on him? What happened to Oscar? Where is he now? Let's start with Stacy. Please let him be somewhere safe. <laughs> I'd like to imagine that Oscar took down all the soldiers and fled. I doubt <laughs> that is the case. Uh, I, I have a feeling uh, Neo Neo popped in after all. And we're going to have some fun times with Oscar and Neo. Ooh, that's... Ooh, oh, poor baby. <laughs> Mark, <laughs> what? how did this play out? I like the theme of, oh, poor baby. That seems to be going on. I like uh, Megan watching these episodes. is just, oh, poor baby, poor baby, poor baby, poor baby. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Um, or in Ironwood's case, I all go, oh, you poor handsome oh, man. Oh, daddy. Oh, daddy. Oh, daddy. Oh, daddy. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, <laughs> definitely not like that. We would not be able to record that if that were the case. That's oh, for when geez. I rewatch the episode by myself. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> Mark, go ahead. I can imagine them playing out with Neo bringing the Elysian soldiers and doing like a bunch of just like overt hand motions to... And Oscar immediately seeing through it, and then a Tom and Jerry esque chase scene between <laughs> the two of them, and and regardless of what happens, yes. I figure that's going to start out the episode next week. Yeah, I love it, uh, Katie. I'm pretty sure that Neo stole the baby, and I'm going to have to kill a bitch. <laughs> 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 Just like no, I'm very upset, and I need the baby back guys we might be pleasantly surprised maybe she and oscar are off getting tea somewhere and uh just enjoying each other's company <laughs> i'm gonna go back to one of the theories that uh corazon posited on twitter and go with neo showed up disguised as ruby and we'll see how that plays out but uh yeah i need my baby back baby back baby back <laughs> <laughs> all right i think on that note that's going to wrap it up this evening any other thoughts on this episode and where we're going for the rest of the volume mark i mean i think i made it pretty clear earlier all of my terrifying <laughs> posits of the mind but um we we want to hear from you uh, so make sure to head over to our discord stacy 
I know we were talking about how the rest of this volume is probably going to be Team Ruby very united fighting as a family. Uh, I, I'm still going to throw out there. I think Weiss's uh, reactions in this episode in particular to what Ironwood was saying and doing were very telling. And I am still holding out <laughs> that she is going to be making her way down to her sister. We had a very powerful Yang and Ruby sister moment. And I think we're going to see Weiss race off to make sure winter doesn't do something completely you know unacceptable unforgivable she looked pretty heartbroken when ironwood said what winter was doing so i could do i could definitely see that katie i i feel like this would again be the moment for just leaning off mic and screaming like a lot <laughs> that's kind of where i am right now <laughs> yeah just the only other thing i have to say is again bravo kruby uh, you set the stage masterfully. This episode was um, insanely entertaining to watch. And even though it hurt me, I cannot wait for more. So thank you to the entire cast and crew. You guys knocked it out of the park. All right. On that note, Mark, where can people go if they want to keep up with you? You can find me on Twitter at Mark Bidonica. I'm going to be doing a little bit of traveling this week. I'm going to be in Houston for work. And so, one, I'll be able to visit some of my favorite uh, Texas uh, chains, as first learned from RTX. And, um, I th- man, RTX is, is already on the books, and tickets are, are on sale right now. And I hope the closer we get the more likely it is that we can go. But uh, until then, we just put something up on, or I say just, as of this recording, we put something up on our Twitter talking about what sort of Ruby-related content you'd want us to con- uh, podcast about. So we'd love for you to go to that post, respond. I'll retweet it the day that the show goes out so that you can leave it on too. We suggest a couple of things, but if there's anything else that you have an idea for, please let us know. But um, that you can find us there at the Rooster Team or me at Mark Bidonica. Stacy? I'm Stacy Shuttleworth. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Stacy Shuttles. Uh, I'm mainly deep in cosplay projects right now, but uh, to be fair, the past weekend I've been distracted by trying to ride Rise of the Resistance yeah. and just open up at Disneyland. So there's a lot of me crying and screaming about that going on on the socials. Normal business will resume shortly. <laughs> Katie? I'd just like to let you know I'm very jealous. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, you can find me in the void screaming and also on all the social medias at Kiaxet, that is K-I-A-X-E-T. That is also my YouTube channel and my Twitch channel. The Twitch channel I'm going to try and do a little more with. And the YouTube channel is where you can see the reactions to these episodes so you can watch our first reactions and have fun at laughing at all of our terrible, terrible initial predictions that are completely disproven upon a rewatch. Unless you're Mark. (laughs) Hey. I wasn't talking about Mark. Mark is prescient. (laughs) And I'm Megan. Uh, You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Be sure to follow the whole team at the Rooster Team. Join our Discord. You can also support us on Anchor with a monthly subscription, or you can buy stuff from our Tee Public store of the silly things that we say. Uh, So, yeah, guys, join in the conversation. Uh, We want to hear your thoughts on this episode and where the rest of this volume is going. Thank you guys so, so much for listening. This has been Ruby Redux, and now it's time to say goodbye.